Well, we're continuing our sermon series on our mission as a church as we launch into this year. And this is the second to final sermon in the series. So this morning, we're going to consider our call to share the good news about King Jesus. And then next week, I want to talk with you for a little bit about the body metaphor for the church in the New Testament, both as we think about our life as a church together and as we think about our prospect of joining a denomination. So that will come next week. But this week, I want to continue thinking about our mission and our call to share the good news. Um, do you have it memorized yet? Maybe we can recite our mission together as it comes on the screen if you don't have it memorized. But maybe, maybe you could even say it without looking. But let's recite this together. Resurrection Church exists to glorify our triune God, grow as followers of Christ, and go into our community serving our neighbors and sharing the good news about King Jesus. Well, our mission to share the good news about King Jesus flows out of our commitment to glorify God and out of our growth as followers of Christ. Sharing the good news, when we speak about the gospel, we're drawing people's attention to God's redeeming work in the gospel. We're calling attention to our redeeming God, and it brings about the praise of his glory. So our evangelism is connected to our commitment to glorify our triune God, but our evangelism or our sharing about King Jesus also is an outflow of our own encounter with Jesus, of our own following Christ, both at conversion and of the way that we continue to abide in Christ. I want to return to that idea later on in the sermon, but if we're thinking of evangelism just as a task to accomplish and not something that has as its aim the glory of God and as its source our own encounter with Christ, then we'll turn into salesmen, which I think is a problem. I'll, I'll talk about that later. We have issues apparently. That's okay. Um, we don't need slides either if it is too complicated. Okay, we have one on the right. It'll be simple. In a few moments, I'm going to give you some basic questions that, that will guide us. But as we think about what we're doing in sharing the good news about King Jesus, we're essentially just trying to draw people to Jesus because he alone has the words of eternal life. Like the woman at the well who encountered Jesus and then shared her encounter with other people, all we're doing is simply sharing with other people that we've met Jesus and that he alone has the words of eternal life. He alone completely satisfies our desires. He alone brings about wholeness and holiness. So I know that some of us in our church are very passionate and skilled at sharing the good news about King Jesus. Others of us have likely never invited a single person to follow Christ. And I think at a basic level, all of us need to return to this idea that we ought to regularly encounter Christ and out of that encounter, invite other people to encounter him. So my aim here is not to try to guilt you into telling somebody about Jesus or to try to get somebody to pray a prayer. I found, at least for myself, that when my motivation to share the good news about Jesus is rooted in guilt for not doing that, it doesn't last for very long. It's not very effective in the long haul. 
Neither am I aiming to construct a checkboxy kind of Christianity where you just check off telling somebody about Jesus this week as one of your duties or something like that, while at the same time suggesting that we do have a duty to share the good news about King Jesus. But our duty is grounded in the deep inspiration that comes from an ongoing, vibrant relationship with Jesus. So if, if you don't kind of grab onto anything else I say, mostly what I want you to leave today thinking is that you do have an obligation to share the good news about Jesus, but the only way that you can actually do that is if you know and love Jesus. So don't set out to try to become a better evangelist set out to become somebody who knows and loves Jesus more deeply. So, as we go forward, I'm going to try to avoid what I've experienced in most sermons I've heard on evangelism, where I felt like I'm in a sales clinic in which a speaker is trying to convince introverted people like me to become extroverted, and the spiritually downcast to become hypocritically exuberant, or where the speaker draws on people's fears, fears about things like moral decline in our nation and saying things like, unless you share the gospel with people, our economy is going to go bad because of the moral decline in our country. Or or even of pastors who rightly want to see churches grow by non-Christians becoming Christians, but then say things like, for us to have the budget that we need. We need more giving units, so go out and share the gospel. I want to avoid all of that. Uh, I think most of us have heard those kinds of sermons. That's, that's not what we need, and that's not what we ought to be about. Our aim, again, is ultimately the glory of God and to share with people the Christ who we're regularly encountering. So in this sermon, I just want to give us some basic groundings. I'm, I won't Say, raise your hand if you think you're, like, bad at sharing the good news about King Jesus. My hand would be in the air. So as I was thinking about what would help our church, I was thinking probably we just need to get down to the very basics of what do we mean by sharing the good news about King Jesus. So I want to use the tried and true questions. The who, the what, the where, the when, the why, and the how. And that's, that's going to guide us this morning. So let's begin with who should share the good news about King Jesus. Okay, we, we have to laugh at that. That's funny. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's some good, like, insightful pastoral joke about dead bones coming to life as we share the gospel. I don't know what that was, but... Um, Let's forgo slides and not worry about that. Is that okay? All right. Who should share the gospel? Who should share the good news about King Jesus? Um, You should. That's the simple answer. You should share the good news about King Jesus. I believe that every single one of us not only can share the good news, but that we ought to share the good news. We should share the good news. I'll explain why in due course, but for now, I want you to receive this sermon as a sermon for you. Don't think that this sermon is for the other pastors in the room who are professionally trained to share the good news. 
And don't think that this sermon is just for the really strong and perfect Christians in the room who are equipped to share the good news, but not for you because you're struggling as a Christian. I think even struggling Christians can tell people about Jesus. Don't think that this sermon is for the less busy retired person in the room who has time in their schedule. And don't think that this sermon is for the young family in the room who has natural connections to non-Christians through sports and school unless you fit in those categories. Don't think that this sermon is for the extroverts, for the Enneagram 7s and the ESTPs. It's for introverts, too. This sermon is for you. Now, my aim is not to change your personality type, but it is to push you forward to think about the way that Christ has changed your life and the way that you sharing about Christ's work in your life might also change somebody else's life. Who should share the good news? Anybody who's encountered Jesus. Hopefully, that's you. But I think lurking behind that who question, who should share the good news, is the more difficult who question. With whom should I share the good news? Who is it that God would want me to share the good news? Who needs this news? Well, I think there's a simple and comprehensive answer that Peter gives us in 2 Peter 3.9 when he says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So on one level, we should say every single person is a who that we can share the good news with. But I want to be a little bit more focused in giving you a call to action. I would like you to reflect on the question, Who is it that God would want me to share the good news with? Who are the people in your life that do not know Jesus, but that you have an opportunity to share Jesus with? Now, without getting legalistic about asking this kind of question, you might think about putting in your Reminders app on your phone a weekly or a monthly reminder to ask the question, Who should I share the good news about Jesus with? If you're like me, you forget things and you need that Reminders app for everything. So it's not a legalistic practice. It's just dealing with our broken brains. We need these reminders. So talk about it. Talk about that question with other people in this church. Talk about it with your friend group of Christians who knows you best and who knows of the connections in your life. Talk about it with your family. But I think that every single one of us, if we're going to share the good news about King Jesus, we have to start with asking the who question. Who should be doing it? I should. And who should I share the good news about King Jesus with? Write down that question. Think about it. Pray about it. And ask God to draw your attention to that person that he might have you share the good news with. All right. Who should share the gospel and with whom. You should share it and with whoever God leads you to as you prayerfully and thoughtfully consider your relationships. But then our second question, what? Who, what? What is the good news about King Jesus? So even if you identify who you might share the good news with, you need to have a pretty clear picture of what the good news actually is if you're going to share it. I was reminded afresh just as we were reciting the Apostles' Creed 
The Apostles' Creed basically gives a summary of the Bible in the good news, that God is the creator of all things. It tells us the story of Jesus' life, who he is, and what he did. And then it shows us a picture of the new creational reality of life in the Holy Spirit and with the church, the people of God. So just grabbing onto things like that are helpful. But I wonder what you would say if someone asked you, what is the good news about Jesus? What is the gospel? I think that there would be a variety of answers even within our church. And certainly if you ask somebody outside of our church, some people might answer that at the very core, the gospel is a message about how God wants to bless you with money and health and happiness and a really good life. We usually refer to that as the prosperity gospel. Other people might say the good news is fundamentally about self-discovery and finding emotional health and stability or wholeness, what we might call therapeutic Christianity. Others would say that the gospel is fundamentally about concern for the poor and political liberation of the oppressed. We refer to that as liberation theology. And then others might even say that the most fundamental aspect of the gospel is a message about how you can escape from hell when you die and go to heaven if you just believe. And we could call that easy believism. And when you look at these different answers to what the gospel is, think that every single one of those that I just gave you has something that's right about it, but they're fundamentally misdirected by varying degrees, and they'll eventually lead you far away from what the gospel actually is. Although each of those definitions have some biblical grounding, they have one major problem, and that is that they are human-centered explanations of the gospel. It's all about you, either your financial health, your physical health, your emotional health, or even your just afterlife experience. What they do is they put humans at the center of the message and they push Jesus to the margins. And if you go down any of those routes before long, you'll find that you're not talking about Jesus anymore. You're just sounding like a salesman offering something that you think people might want. But the gospel is all about Jesus. The good news and the reason we phrased it as we have in our mission statement, is that the good news is fundamentally about King Jesus. It's about him. So that's why we didn't end our mission statement with just share the good news. We added the basic content. The content of the good news is our King Jesus. And there are different ways that you can frame it and, and articulate it. And especially as you identify the different needs that Jesus meets for people, you might emphasize different things. But fundamentally, as we share the good news, we ought to be sharing about Jesus. I like the way that one author puts it, this guy Randy Newman, in a book called Mere Evangelism. I'd say if you're looking for a resource to think about sharing the good news, grab that book. He talks about how to share your faith in the vein of C.S. Lewis. You can hear the mere Christianity in the title. But he says this, the gospel is the message that God has a kingdom and we can become citizens of that kingdom all because of Jesus's death and resurrection. Do you hear how God is the starting point for that? Or as I've argued in the Romans series, the gospel is the good news 
that the resurrected Jesus is God's messianic king. These articulations of the gospel are superior to the other options that I gave you earlier because they come much closer to Jesus in the apostles' own declarations of the gospel as they regularly proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. You heard that even in our New Testament reading this morning. Now, of course, this kingdom terminology might sound somewhat foreign for those of us who have grown up in a democratic republic, where we don't like thinking about kings and kingdoms. But I like the kingdom terminology for a few reasons, and I think we ought to emphasize Jesus as king in our description of his identity for a few reasons. First, that kingdom terminology connects us, connects the gospel and this gospel that we're sharing to the storyline of scripture. The whole story of the Bible is a story about God as the creator king who's establishing his kingdom on earth through the covenants and ultimately about the messianic king, Jesus, who rules over all things. So if you want your proclamation of the gospel to connect to the story of the Bible, you almost have to use king and kingdom language. Second, kingdom terminology connects us to that central claim that Jesus made, the claim that led to his crucifixion, his claim to be God's messianic king. I can't tell you how many tracts I've read or times I've heard the gospel shared where there's no connection between the cause of Jesus's death on the cross and the message that we're sharing. If we're talking about Jesus without being able to articulate why it is that he was put to death, why it, what, you know, how it makes sense that there was a plaque over his head that called him the king of the Jews, if our articulation of the gospel doesn't account for Jesus's kingship, I think we're doing something wrong. Third, by explaining that God has a kingdom and that the dead and resurrected to new life, Jesus is the messianic king, by framing it within this kingdom terminology, we have an implicit offer for people to become kingdom citizens. That's what Newman is saying. God has a kingdom, and you can become one of his kingdom citizens. And that invitation is an inclusive invitation. There is no Jew or Greek, male or female. There, there are no boundaries about who can be welcomed into God's kingdom. So as we frame the good news as a message for all people to find meaning and purpose and belonging then in the kingdom of God, we're articulating the same message that Jesus gave. So when you think about sharing the good news about King Jesus, I would push you, however you share it, whether you adopt this kingly kingdom terminology that I think you should, you ought to center your declaration of the gospel on Jesus. Because ultimately, the good news about the benefits of the gospel for us are only true in as much as they're connected to the Jesus that we encounter. All right, so who should share the good news? You, I, me. Um, what is the good news? The good news is the message that God has a kingdom and that we're invited to be kingdom citizens all because of Jesus's death and resurrection. So let's move on to the where and the when questions. And these kind of belong together. Where and when should we share the good news about King Jesus? And here's a simple answer to that is a general guide. Wherever your feet are planted, that means wherever you are and whenever you have the opportunity. So where and when? 
wherever you are and whenever you can. That's a general great rule of thumb for when and where you can share the gospel. But I would suggest that we have a greater responsibility to share the gospel with the place that we live in the places we go regularly than we do across the globe. We need people to go and be missionaries across the globe. But when we're thinking about Resurrection Church and when you're thinking about your life, the when and the where of sharing the gospel are the places that God has put you, where he's planted you, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your workplace. Of course, there are some caveats to this. Although you should be always ready to give an answer for the, for the hope that lies within you, as the biblical authors instruct us, there are times when it's probably inappropriate to try to share the good news about Jesus. Um, I think this is a side comment for just a handful of you. For most of us, we probably need to be pushed to start sharing the good news, but I have, at times in my life, encountered people who share the good news in inappropriate ways and at inappropriate times. Um, in particular, I have been most embarrassed as a Christian at times when I was at work and we were supposed to be doing our job and my coworker, who was a Christian, was trying to evangelize our coworkers instead of doing his job. It's like, dude, you've got to do work. You've got to work well, or else you're just not a credible person. Nobody likes you. you. You need to just do your job. So that's just one example of when you shouldn't be sharing the gospel. But, but I think some of us lack a kind of social awareness where, where we need other people to help us. If that's you, maybe you don't realize. You know, sometimes I'm socially aware and I don't even know that I'm unaware. But, but maybe just be open to hearing from other Christians that you need to revise your evangelism strategies. The rest of us, however, probably need to be pushed to be more active in sharing our faith. So when should we and where should we share the good news? Generally speaking, but as noted with some ex exceptions, anywhere you are, whenever you have an opportunity. As individuals and as a church, we should seize the opportunities that God gives us whenever and wherever we are. So who, what, when and where. Now, why should we share the gospel? Why should we share the gospel? Um, believe it or not, but I, I think I would win a bet if I, if I wagered that you could not find a single verse in the New Testament that commands you to share the good news about King Jesus. Does that surprise you? It surprised me. I, I don't think that the New Testament has a verse that directly tells Christians to share the good news. Now, think about it. Now, I, I can hear you saying, well, what about the Great Commission text that we just read that Jesus gave to the disciples? Okay, well, he spoke directly to the disciples, and you can get in the back door by saying and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you includes that command. But, but my point is, when you read the New Testament letters, the Apostle Paul doesn't say things like, share the gospel without ceasing, or um, evangelize daily. Like, there, there aren't commands like that. And that the absence of those commands have led some people to suggest that Christians shouldn't really feel a burden to share the gospel. In fact, there's a New Testament professor that I have learned a lot from. He's not connected to any school that you would 
that I'm connected to. But, but this guy says that Christians should not go about sharing the gospel because of the absence of commands in the New Testament. Now, hopefully when you hear that, you think it's, it doesn't pass the straight face test. It's laughable. Um, we, sh- we should share the gospel. But given the fact that the New Testament doesn't give us a straightforward command to share the gospel, I think it's worth reflecting, why should we? What's our aim? The Bible doesn't tell us to you directly, though I would argue there are numerous examples of people who do this that are given to us so that we'll emulate them. But why do we share the gospel, particularly when there's not a direct command to do so? I think this question is important for all of us to ask because in asking it, I think we'll weed out some bad motivations for sharing the gospel, and then we'll be able to grab onto some good motivations for sharing the gospel. I've already identified some bad motivations for sharing the gospel, like you feel guilty for not doing it, or just because you think everybody needs to think the same way that you think about everything, so you, you're trying to evangelize them, or better, proselytize them, um, or just because you think we need more giving units in our church. There are all sorts of bad reasons that people share the gospel. But what are the good reasons? Why ought we share the good news? Fundamentally, as I noted in the opening to this sermon, I believe that we ought to share the good news as an outflow of our encounter with Jesus. I don't think we need much more reason than that. We can come up with other reasons, and I've mentioned some, like it it does bring glory to God. But ultimately, when you're thinking about why you ought to share the good news, not everybody else or not why should we have missionaries, but why should you share the good news? Ultimately, I think the deepest reason is because you've encountered Jesus and he's done something to transform your life. Why is it that we tell anybody about anything? It's because we had an encounter and, and our lives were qualitatively better because of that thing. Why is it that you share a recipe with somebody? Why, why is it that you tell someone about that song that you heard, or that show that you watched, or the book that you read? Why, why is it that you tell someone about the event that you went to? Or why is it that you tell someone about the therapy session that you had and that you saw? We, we tell people about these things, not because we're trying to impose an agenda on their life, but ultimately because we love those people and we experience something that ch- changed our life for the better, and we think that their life might be able to be changed for the better too. So at the root of it is because we love the Jesus who we met and we love the person who hasn't met him yet. Think that motivation, a love motivation, is a motivation that lasts forever. Not guilt, not checkboxiness, but love. Love for the Jesus who loved you and who is transforming you, and love for your neighbor who has not yet met Jesus. All right, who, what, where, when, why, how? How should we share the gospel? Um, Based on what I just said about why we should share, based in a personal encounter that we've had with Jesus, you can probably already guess that answering the how question is really personal. How you share the gospel depends in part on who you are. It depends in part on who you're sharing the gospel with. Depends on what the needs are. 
And if we learn anything from reading the Gospels or we see Jesus declaring the Gospel of the Kingdom, we learn that Jesus met each person uniquely with attention to who they are and what their deepest needs were. He attended to the obstacles to their faith even as he proclaimed the one message of the Gospel of the Kingdom. Think even about our reading where Jesus encounters people whose hearts are captured by wealth. Well, Jesus is going to engage them with the gospel of the kingdom in a different way that he engaged others that he encountered, like a demoniac or a paralytic. I think that's an example for us that when we share the gospel, we must avoid a program, you know, just neat steps on do these five things, and that's how you share the gospel. And instead, we enter into the life of other people, bringing all that we are and all that we've received from Jesus and offering them belonging and meaning and purpose in the kingdom of God. Earlier, I referenced this book, Mere Evangelism by Randy Newman, and I want to draw on some principles that he lays out in that book, but I'd encourage you to pick up that book and read it. It's really short, it's really engaging. But if you want to think about how to be better about sharing the good news, that's a great place to start. Generally speaking, and again, I'm drawing on Newman, we can divide the how of sharing the gospel into two parts. Following Jesus and Paul, who both spoke of sowing seeds and reaping the harvest. We plant seeds and we harvest. And when we realize that sharing the gospel includes both, and that there's often a time gap in between, we shouldn't be surprised when our gospel-sharing encounters don't immediately produce fruit. I don't think that when we go to share the good news about Jesus with somebody, that we'll necessarily end up calling them to faith and repentance in that moment. Or that even if we do, that we'll actually see them come to faith and repentance. Often, if we learn anything from Jesus and the apostles, we learn that we plant seeds of the gospel of the kingdom, and other people water those seeds, and other people harvest them. And when we recognize that, it frees us from feeling guilty and from like trying to press people into conversion using really bad tactics. And it brings us into the joy of the harvest when we recognize that sharing the good news about King Jesus is not just about us, but it's about all of us, and ultimately about God, working in the hearts of people to bring about a harvest. Along the way, we should not oversteam harvesting the fruit of sharing the good news, and we should not undervalue planting the seed. Okay, what, what I mean by that is sometimes I get disappointed with myself or frustrated that I'm not seeing more people come to faith when I talk to them. And, and it, it's disappointing. But what I think I'm doing when I get disappointed is I'm undervaluing the way that God can use the seeds of the conversations I've had with people and someone else who I never know might bear that fruit. And it's, it's God's kindness to let that happen. And there have been many, many times where I've talked with somebody about Jesus and it's nothing that I've said to them that have helped them connect to Jesus but it's about something that their grandma said to them when they were like seven. So we ought not over-esteem harvesting the fruit or undervalue planting the seed. Rather, we ought to recognize 
that sharing the good news about Jesus and seeing the kingdom of God grow includes multiple phases, often separated by long spans of time. And it involves many, many people. I want to keep leaning into this metaphor of planting seeds and harvesting the crops. When it comes to harvesting the crops, no farmer is in control of when the crops will be ready to harvest. They can only recognize when the crops are ready, and then they have a responsibility to act. I think we're those farmers. We, we cannot produce fruit, the fruits of faith and repentance in someone's life, but we should have eyes open to recognize when the harvest is ready, and then we ought to take up responsibility to engage people in a call to faith and repentance. Sometimes those signs are obvious when someone's open to hearing the gospel. You can imagine sitting in a waiting room lobby and the person next to you has a Bible open and they're reading the book of Isaiah. And like Philip, you feel an urge from the Spirit to ask them, do you understand what you're reading? Well, have your eyes open. Sometimes God gives great open opportunities like that to reap the fruit of the harvest. But other times, it's not so obvious. And what's required is that we live our lives in a way that's not so self-centered and inward focusing that we actually take the time to think about other people and to consider what's going on in their lives. So if you want to be better at recognizing opportunities to share the gospel, move through this world with wide eyes open to the needs of other people. Or to go further into this farming metaphor, when it comes to harvesting the crop, farmers don't have a lot of agency. They only have responsibility when it's ready. But when it comes to planting seeds, the farmer has much more control. He has much more agency. He can get up and go out and plant the seeds. He doesn't wait totally for opportunities. He makes opportunities happen. But even still, he does not have complete or absolute control. He has to navigate the obstacles to planting, the obstacles that are presented by things like the kind of soil in that region. He needs to identify the right seed to plant, the right seed that can take root in that soil, in that climate. And he has to remove obstacles, has to pull the big rocks out of the field. And he has to know when to plant the seed, not in the middle of winter. He has to plant at the right time. And similarly, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we have more agency than we do when it comes to reaping the fruit of sharing the gospel. But we must still be wise planters of gospel seeds, working to navigate the climate we're in and the soil of the fields and the obstacles to growth in our planting. So as we conclude, I want to give you just four basic phases of sharing the gospel. It's hard to know what to call this because I don't want it to be a checklist because it doesn't work that way. And it's not a neat pattern, but they are different mechanisms or different aspects of sharing the gospel I want to draw your attention to. First, I want to suggest that generally speaking, to share the good news with somebody, you must establish a relationship with them. There are exceptions, of course, but for people to receive the seed of the word, we need to get to know them to one degree or another so that like Jesus, we can assess which seeds need to be planted. Which healing promises of God need to be offered? And which obstacles are on their way to the kingdom of God? More than that, we need to know them well enough 
that they can receive our sharing of the gospel as ministering to the gospel to them, not trying to sell them on the gospel. They need to know that we love them before they can accept that there is a God who loves them. And that God has a key requirement that they also ought to love him. So I would suggest generally that one way we can be good farmers in the kingdom of God is to know the field, to know people, to build relationships with them. And sometimes that, sometimes that kinship is felt automatically. Some of you have experienced friendships like that, where in like, within like 10 minutes, you know this, this is going to be a, a friend. Or, or as um, Anne of Green Gables would put it, this will be one of my bosom friends. You sometimes know that in an instant, but other times it takes a lifetime to establish that kind of relationship. But I want to suggest that more often than not, to gain a hearing for the gospel, you need to demonstrate to people that you love them. You need to come to know them. Second, we need to engage in what's sometimes called pre-evangelism. Like the farmer, we need to till the soil and remove the rocks. In other words, we need to give people a gateway into hearing the gospel, and we need to remove the obstacles to their reception of the gospel. This is challenging. This is tough because people reject the gospel or are disinterested in the gospel for very different reasons. For some, it's because we just live in a secular age where talk of Jesus rising from the dead sounds as credible as Peter Pan and fairies. And, and we need to help people have structures for belief. Other people struggle because they've been deeply hurt, often by other Christians. So we need to not only know people, but we also need to work to clear the field in this pre-evangelistic effort. This guy, Randy Newman, writes, people's presuppositions their underlying, often unspoken beliefs about themselves, God, and the world either set themselves up for belief in the gospel or for the rejection of it. And some assumptions pave the way for acceptance, while others need to be torn down. So sometimes you can latch onto beliefs that people have and show them that they just haven't gone far enough. Like in Acts, when Paul says, look at this, you know, unknown God that you're worshiping. You're headed in the right direction, you're on the path towards acceptance, but you need to go farther. Other times, things have to be torn down. Newman challenges people in his book to think about their own conversion and the conversion of other people and, and to think about what it is that created a path towards gaining a hearing for the gospel. Um, I'll, I'll give just one example of how you could do this. This was kind of, kind of a silly one, but I, I don't think that most people in our world think about death very often. But I think Christianity has the best answers to life and death. Um, so I think for the most part, when I was growing up, you could go up to any random person and say, hey, do you, do you know what will happen to you when you die? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? But most people now have no, that, that's not even, like they don't have the mental framework to answer that question. But guess what? We were given a great gift recently, culturally, in this little movie called Barbie, where there's this bizarre dance scene where all of these Barbies are dancing around talking about how they're all beautiful and life is awesome and everything great and this is the best party ever. And all of a sudden in the movie, this kind of main Barbie of all the Barbies just randomly and unexpectedly says, do any of you ever think about dying? The sound cuts out. There's no sound on the movie. The music stops. Everyone freezes and like has, 
fake smiles plastered on their faces, looking around awkwardly at each other. And she's looking the most awkward of all. And then she goes on, um, like, dying to keep partying or something like that. Because we, in our society, don't like thinking about dying. But, you know, that's a great, like, pathway to talk to people about dying. And not even in, like, confrontational sort of ways, but just saying, hey, why is it that in the movie theater when we watch this together, you know, my non-Christian neighbor and me, or in my case, Quinn and I, um, why, why is it that the movie theater erupted in laughter in that scene? Like, I, I think we can use things like that to help people think about what matters most in life. If only we take the time to be thoughtful to do it. All right. So, so first, I'm saying we need to build relationships. Secondly, there's that work of pre-evangelism where we need to give people the ma- mental framework to even know how to think about these things and to remove the obstacles that often stand between them and the kingdom of God. But then third, I want to suggest that we ought to nurture those seeds that we planted through ongoing conversations and through acts of love and building of relationship, regardless of whether or not that person responded favorably to your pre-evangelism effort. So, so what I'm trying to say here is that we don't stop by hinting at the gospel or even explicitly sharing the gospel. We ought to continue to love that person and relate to them well, regardless of whether or not they respond to our call to the gospel. Don't be like that annoying Jehovah's Witness that you know, that every time they walk up to you, you know they're going to try to convince you to believe everything that they believe. Don't, don't be like that annoying champion of whatever political party neighbor of yours, who whenever they talk to you, they don't care about you. They only want to like put their political opinions on you. Don't be the person who can't relate to somebody as a person. If, you, if all you do is pressure people to think the same way you think, even though if you're thinking about the gospel, you're probably right, if, if all you're doing is going up to people and talking about Jesus, they're going to quickly feel like you don't love them and that the Jesus that you care about isn't any kind of Jesus that they would want to care about. So not only should you build a relationship with them and work through this pre-evangelistic effort, but you ought to continue to grow in relationship with them, even if they ask you never to talk to Jesus about them again, or to them again. Fourth, finally, wise farmers know when it's time to harvest the crop, and wise Christians should attend to the time to call someone directly to faith and repentance. We shouldn't be afraid of moving beyond questions like, hey, have you ever thought about what happens after you die? Or, hey, why is it that you think we have this longing that doesn't go away even though we have a lot of money? You know, you shouldn't be afraid to go beyond that to explicitly call people to live a life of faith and repentance. We ought to go beyond just suggesting that the gospel to calling people to respond fully with all that they are, to come to know and experience the Savior that you have known and experienced. But we must not do it in the way that we have seen so often in American church history, where the call is simply for somebody to pray a prayer. Rather, 
in, in fulfillment of the Great Commission text that Josh read right before this sermon, our call is not to get people to pray salvation prayers. Our call is to make disciples, to draw people to Jesus through faith and repentance, but then to fold them into the life of faith in which they walk with Jesus for the rest of their days as a follower of Christ. Our aim is not to make converts, but Christians. Our aim is not to get people to say a sinner's prayer, but to leave their sinful life behind and find new life with their Savior, Jesus. Our commitment to share the good news is going to look different for every one of us. But as we cycle the, through the who, what, where, when, why, how questions, and maybe as you talk about those categories of questions with your family or with other members in our church, I would call you to pray regularly that God would use you and me and Resurrection Church to make disciples for the glory of God and for the good of all peoples. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us in this mission, that you would keep us from making the missteps along the way that transform the good news about Jesus into nothing more than a sales pitch, but instead that you would give us vibrant lives of faith and ongoing encounters with Jesus so that we will know your mercies new every day. And as an outflow of that wholeness and holiness that we have found in Jesus, that we will joyfully and patiently and respectfully share the good news about Christ wherever and whenever we have the opportunity. In Christ we pray. Amen.